0: We're going to read down from verse 1 down to verse number 8. I'll read all eight verses. I'm going to ask you to join in with me on the even verses 2, 4, 6, and 8 this morning. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. I want to ask you a question to prepare us for this message today. Where are you spiritually today? I know know where you are physically. I know where I am physically. But where are we spiritually today? The title of this message comes from verse number 8. That is the theme that is really the focus of our message today. Come out from amongst the trees. Our Father, I pray now, as I've been praying throughout this week, throughout every point of this message in preparation, throughout last night, throughout this morning, for you to be found in the center of everything. Lord, it is you who knows our hearts even better than we know ourselves. It is you who knows where we are. And there is a place in our life, there is a place in our mind, there is a place in our spirit and our heart, Lord, that we don't want anyone else to have access to. Lord, I pray this morning that we give you access, and I pray that you, through the power of your Spirit, take the preaching and the reading of your Word to draw all of us closer and deeper in our walk with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. You may be seated. Obviously, Genesis chapter 3 is a very well-known passage in the Bible. Preached a number of various messages throughout Genesis chapter 3. A lot of times when we're just counseling with people, we can go back to Genesis chapter 3 and find the root of our problems. I've preached a message before, come out from among the trees, but it was a completely different message. It was to a completely different group of people. The Lord really impressed upon my heart to preach this particular message today as God gave it throughout the week. This morning we trace our roots back to the very beginning of time. The Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. You can flip two chapters over or you can read and follow along in the sermon notes. In the beginning, God... Created the heaven and the earth, amen. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. In those first two verses, we uncover the role of the Holy Trinity's involvement in creation. In verse number one, we see God the Father. It was God who created. The heaven and the earth. And in verse number two, we see the God, uh, God the Spirit. It says in the middle of the verse, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And you may not see them here in these two verses, but the God the Son is there also. I gave you a reference of the Gospel of John chapter 1 in verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was. God. The Word is defined in verse number 4 as the Word was... 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is Jesus Christ Himself, the Son of God. John 1 and verse 2, it says, The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made... That was made. The Holy Trinity is a part of God's creation. And you need to remember that for a point that's coming up here shortly. On the first day, as we continue through Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created light. The second day, He created the sky. The Bible word is firmament. On the third day, dry land appeared. It was separated from the seas and it began to... Bring forth grass and plants and trees. On the fourth day, God created the sun and the moon and the stars. Fifth day, aquatic life and birds were created. And the sixth day, land animals and, of course, man. It was the creation of man that was and is most precious to God. That brings us to the first point of our message this morning, and that is... God has a desire his, to have a relationship with man. God's relationship with man. In Psalm 139 and verse 14, David understood some things that science is continuing to discover, and that is the human body is very complex. He, he writes, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, And that my soul knoweth right well. Out of everything that God created, there is a uniqueness in how he created us. God created us uniquely. In Genesis 1, in verse 26 and 27, And God said, let us. There's the plural. Why does he say us? Because God the Father and God the Spirit and God the Son are part of the creation. And so he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. A triune God made man in three parts. In 1 Thessalonians 5, in verse 23, we see that we have a body, a soul, and a spirit. We are made in the image of Almighty God. In Genesis chapter 2, in verse 7, we see that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. That's the body. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's the spirit. And man became a living soul. That's the soul. You have God the Father. God is a spirit, Jesus said in John chapter 4. You have, you have the Holy Spirit and you have You have the body, Jesus Christ, in in human flesh walking upon the face of this earth. It was man that God ordained as caretaker over all the earth. And it is with man that God desires to have the greatest fellowship with. Our world today wants to worship the creature. It is you and I that God desires to have fellowship with. The greatest creation that, of all the things that exist, God had greatest interest in people. You see, you and I, we matter to God. You may feel like you don't matter to anyone else. I am telling you, I am telling you, Keelan, you matter to God. You may think no one else cares and no one else is listening. God cares and he's always listening. We matter to God. Now, Satan and his demons would like for us to think otherwise. He would like for us to think that no one loves us. He would like for us to think that our lives are a waste of time on this earth. He wants us to think that God does not care. And at times, he even wants us to think that God is purposely holding us back. Anything that he can do to drive a wedge between us and our creator, he will do. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 25, the Bible describes that those who reject God as reprobates, who change the truth of God into a lie and worship the creature more than the creator. Such a tactic finds its roots all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent successfully attempted to get man to worship himself rather than follow God. And Steve, that is still happening today. Still goes on today. If, If the serpent, if Satan can get you, Justin, to be worried only about yourself, And if he can get you to live for yourself and do what you want to do, you will become your own God. You will chase after what pleases your flesh, and it robs us of the relationship that God wants to have with us. Brings us to our second point, their reluctance to stick with truth. Their reluctance to stick with truth. Now in verse number 1, back in Genesis 3, read with me. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? We would be wise to not overlook the fact that the first question in the Bible comes from the subtle serpent questioning what God actually said. You see, Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, preached on that passage a few weeks ago. In John 17 and verse 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is what? Truth. He's praying to God the Father. Set them apart through your truth because your word is truth. Because God's word is truth. The Bible is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice. It is what we go to. It is what we should turn to when we got big decisions to make, how we're to live our life. We need to consider what God's word has to say. We often will go to God's word and say out of the multi- it's it's wise to go to a multitude of counselors. That is true. It is true to ask wise individuals what they think about a particular situation, but don't you believe the wisest of them all is found in the Word of God? Start there. If Satan can cause us to question the authority and inerrancy of God's Word, he will successfully lead men to doubt absolute truth, and I'm here to tell you who is, he is succeeding very well in America. I found a study, a 2015 study by the Barna Group, asking Americans if they believe in absolute truth or relative truth. 65% said they either believe moral truth is relative to circumstances, their experiences... Or they have given it very little thought. Only 35% of Americans believe moral truth is absolute. That number is staggering. 35% of the most God-blessed nation in the world believe that there is absolute truth. And that poll was done eight years ago. I'd hate to know what it is today. What is more startling is that when practicing Christians were asked the same question, 59% believe that moral truth is absolute. That means 41% of practicing Christians believe that Truth is discovered in personal experiences, or they haven't even thought about it. And only 59% say we have absolute truth. I gave you the reference. You can look it up. I'm not lying to you. What we must understand is the removal of absolute truth gives every man license to do that which is right in his own eyes. We determine what is right and wrong. And we worship ourselves and we worship people and we worship ideals more than we worship the creature. Is there any reason why we wonder why our country is in such a mess today? Every man, when we get rid of absolute truth, every man decides what is right. Every man and that can, that can go back and forth, up and down. I can believe this today and I can be firm against it and, my, and then my, my, uh, my mind changes and now I'm diff- going a different way because that is what I believe is truth. There's a reason why our nation is in such a moral collapse that we're experiencing today. Adam and Eve are examples of people who knew better. They knew what God's word said. Amen? But other voices caused them to doubt, which led them to question and eventually forsake what they knew to be right. They knew better. They knew what God's word said. But their mind was changed. Look in verse 2. And the serpent said, and the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. That's her response to the serpent questioning what God said. And the serpent said unto the woman in verse 4, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now that is a slick, Anthony, that is a slick maneuver. There's a reason why he's described as being subtle. The serpent caused Eve to doubt the truth that she knew by offering her a different interpretation of it. That's not what God really meant. What he really meant was this. Huh. I never thought about it that way. Paul called this an act of corrupting the Word of God. He writes in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 17, For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. If there were attacks on the Word of God in the very beginning, as well as in the days of Paul, we can be sure there are attacks upon the Word of God today. Amen. And we must be, as believers, we must be as Bereans, who in Acts 17 verse 11 were described as those who searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Instead, I fear that many believers, we are lazy and we casually accept a false interpretation of truth because we are not willing to study it out for ourselves. Amen. Don't be a lazy Christian. God put it in there for you. Don't only allow what you get from the Word of God to come out of, the words of, out of the mouth of your pastor. Get in God's Word. Study it. Read it. Learn it. Grow in it. Because anyone can come along and offer you an interpretation of it that draws you completely away from God. Be careful who you're listening to and check it up with what God has to say. Which way does Adam and Eve go? Look in verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. Do you realize this? She never even considered, David, she never even considered partaking of the fruit. Until the serpent said, that's not what God really meant there. God knows that if you eat this fruit, your eyes are going to be open. You are going to know right from, you're going to know good and evil. You're going to be smarter. You're going to be as God yourself. Huh. That don't sound too bad. You know, come to think of it, I never really paid attention to it before, but that fruit, it does look pretty yummy. Hmm. I can only imagine what it tastes like. My favorite fruit, I, I bet, I, I bet it can, I bet it tastes better than strawberries. And if the serpent's right, it'll make me smarter. Well, I'm always looking for a way to get smarter. I ah, just one little bite won't hurt. I wish I had an apple, crunch. Here comes Adam. Eve, what are you doing? You got to try this. God said we shouldn't. I know. I know God said. But the serpent, he told me something different. And I'm telling you, it's pretty good. You ought to try it. But God said, I know. I know. I know what we thought God said, but I, what I'm telling you is I don't know if that's what God really meant. Try Adam and Eve, in your notes, surrendered their innocence because of their reluctance to stick with the truth. The serpent caused them to hesitate just long enough to get them to think it's not really that big of a deal. And when they took a bite, they surrendered their innocence Simon Turpin wrote in an article written in January 5th, 2019. It was an article in Answers in Genesis titled, Learning from the Temptation of Eve. He says, when temptation comes, the first thing we usually do is deny or convince ourselves that there will be no consequences. We all know this illustration. We have never seen a beer commercial where the guy has his head in the toilet. They always have the best-looking dudes and the best-looking women party into their heart's desire. Temptation comes when it comes. The first thing we usually do is deny or convince ourselves we ...can get through this with no consequences. Adam and Eve both knew the consequences. Right? She says, neither shall we eat it nor shall we touch it lest we die. She knew the consequences. But she, they listen to the wrong voices. And how quickly we do the same. We listen to the lust of our flesh our pride. We listen to our friends. We listen to authoritative figures in our lives. We listen to popular authors that we read. We listen to professionals who are experts in the situation. We listen to the news media. We focus on social media. We are entertained by Hollywood's perception of what is right and what is wrong. We have politicians who determine what is right and what is wrong. No offense, Ray Long. We have religious speakers who name, you you name it. We have so many voices telling us what to believe that we begin to base base truth on what is socially acceptable rather than actual biblical truth which causes our moral compass to become completely out of balance. And I'm not talking, Brant, I'm not talking about the lost world. I'm not talking about the lost world. Adam and Eve knew better, and as believers filled with the Spirit of God, we know better. Amen? We know better. Yet we find ourselves in the same situation, hiding our sin. Verse 7 through 10. Third point, their reason for hiding. Their reason for hiding. In verse 5, the serpent tempted Eve by promising her that if she ate the fruit, her eyes would be opened. Well, according to verse 7, she discovered that the serpent was right. Adam and Eve's eyes were opened, but they did not like what they saw. Because their open eyes led them to dislike themselves. To dislike themselves. Read with me in verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Listen, listen. I do not think that it is, ah, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe ironic. That the people who are most concerned by the way that they look is who? It's women. They never like their bodies, they never like, they always find something wrong with the way they look. Genesis chapter 3. They never, it never bothered them what they look like. But now that their eyes have been opened, they look at themselves and they see all of the flaws and they can't hide the flaws. They are naked. And so they dislike themselves and then they also dislike each other because they never look at one another the same again. And so they take fig leaves and they sew them together and they begin to make aprons so that they can cover up their nakedness because they did not like themselves. And in verses 8 through 10, they follow. They, they, they take the next step and they hide from the presence of God. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Their eyes are opened. That That was the compelling argument that the serpent gave. But their open eyes caused them to flee from the presence of God. And then in verses 11 through 13, they begin to deflect blame to others. The Lord said, verse 11, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree where I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman who thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. It's always somebody else's fault, Amen. It's not only somebody else's fault, but it's also God's fault. You see, Adam said, you know that woman that you gave me? That woman that you put in my life? I didn't ask for her. You put her in my life. She gave it to me. I didn't want it. I didn't want it, Lord. I, didn't, I promise you I didn't want it, but she ate it. She said it was good. She gave it to me and told me I should eat it. Deflect blame on someone else. The Lord turns to the woman in verse thirteen. What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, "The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. The serpent deceived me. It was the devil's fault. The devil probably don't even know your name, but he gets more he gets more credit for the mistakes that we make. The devil made me do it. I was deceived. I'm telling you, Lord, I was deceived. I didn't know. I." I was deceived into thinking that it was okay. Following their sin, Adam and Eve never looked on one another the same way again. They never looked at themselves the same way. Something was horribly wrong and it left both of them feeling ashamed. So what did they do? They tried to cover it up. They tried to hide their guilt, but when the voice of the Lord drew near, their shame was too much, so they ran for the trees. And they hid themselves from the presence of God. Adam said he was afraid. It wasn't death he was afraid of because in reality, Adam didn't even know what death was at this time. What he was afraid of was the realization that he was incapable of covering his own guilt and shame. And the truth is, we know exactly how he feels. you know exactly how he feels. We wish we would have never given in to what we knew was wrong, but now we know we cannot take it back. We would do anything to get back the peace we once had, but now it is long gone. We look in the mirror, and we don't like what we see. We are afraid We're terrified that everyone will discover our sin. So we try to cover it up. And when we do it long enough, we actually get pretty good at it. We're afraid that God will know. So we hide from Him. We start missing a service here and there. We do not want to get in the Bible. We try our best to tune out the preaching, and we distract ourselves with other things. God's presence is meant to bring us comfort, but our guilt prays He will just leave us be. God's Word is meant to bring us hope, but the moment we hear it, we're overcome with fear. We cover our ears, we run hopelessly away, but we can't get away from Him calling our name. William William where are you William where are you Jackie Dan I'm here I want to have fellowship with you. I want you and I to walk together. Where are you? Do you think God didn't know where he was? God knows exactly where he is. Where are you, Shelby? Why are you running away? He is calling us to come out from amongst the trees. He's calling us to come out from amongst the trees. Final point. The redemption of man and reconciliation to God. There's so much I could bring out of this passage. For the sake of time, we move on to verse 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. You see, the Lord agreed that Adam and Eve's self-made apron of fig leaves would not suffice as a covering for their own guilt and shame. It required blood. So God made amends for their sin debt. I give you Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. You eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. What keeps us alive is our heart beating and the blood that's pumping and flowing through our veins. we can't just cover that up with some leaves. You can't just cover that up with some clothing. He said, no, there's got to be more to it than that. Here he comes with these coats of skins, and he gives them to them. The first blood was shed when God made the coat skins to cover Adam and Eve's sin and nakedness. But Jesus would eventually come to be the atonement for our sins in order that he might redeem us and reconcile us back to God. I'll give you two references here. In Hebrews chapter 9... Follow along with me in verse 12. The Bible says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, Christ's own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works, To serve the living God. And then Colossians 1 speaks of the reconciliation. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unprovable in his sight. You know how forgiveness is found, Greg? It is found through the cross. You know our sin is paid for? It's paid for on the cross, Dan. It's the blood that Jesus Christ shed unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. It was that offering that Jesus came, the once and for all offering that Jesus came for the sins of the whole world. And we just got to come to him and confess, you know what? I am wrong. Now, let me close by getting to the heart of the matter. I've been doing this thing long enough to know this. And I've experienced it in my own life. I recognize there's some things not in my life and I come to the altar in my nice suit, and I pray, and I say, Lord, forgive me. I am a sinner. I've made mistakes. Lord, you know what I've sinned. Forgive me for my sins. got to quit covering it up and can i encourage you with this you better uncover it and give it to the lord before everybody else finds out about it you say how do i do that Well, to be honest with you, I'm sick and tired of walking around with a shoe on. Because I have a problem with my sock and it is riding up my foot. My son walked up to me a little while ago. He said, you need to unbutton that suit because I don't like it. I said, I can't do it, son, because I'm hiding some things. If we don't come to God recognizing we got some things wrong, all you're doing is passing the blame elsewhere. And nothing in your life is ever going to get straightened out by just praying this general prayer God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. God knows you're a sinner. But when you leave this church, you go right back in your hidden little thing and you continue to do what you know you're not supposed to be doing. And you do it because you think nobody knows and there are no consequences as long as nobody finds out. But then here comes the word of God along. And you go, you go running for the trees. Or what's even worse than that, what is even worse than that is you sit right here and basically are telling God, what are you looking at? What do you want? So what? Yeah, I'm a mess. Yeah, so, yeah, I did this. I did this, yeah, I did this. I did, yes. What are you looking at? How dare we? 41% of practicing Christians who know better say, I believe truth is whatever I say it is. There is no absolute truth. The Bible really doesn't matter to me. That's people who know better. And that is people who are easily deceived. Well, so-and-so wrote this over here, and I really like what it said because it was pretty catchy. He's smart because he's got all those acronyms at the end of his name. Got all those initials. You need to smell yourself. You need to stop hiding. You need to get real with God. Lord, I'm naked. Here I am. I keep trying to cover it up. I keep trying to cover it up. And I got everybody fooled. Everybody at church, they fooled. Preachers fool people all the time, don't they? Christians fool people all the time. You're the greatest at fooling people. Put that mask on. Make sure that hair is right. You know what you need to do? Mess that hair up a little bit. Lord, this is me. Take off that makeup. Take off that fake smile. Lord, I am naked. And when I look at myself, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't know why I do what I do. I don't know why. There was a time where I knew I shouldn't, but I thought nobody's going to know, and so I'm just going to do it. As long as nobody knew, I thought I'd be okay. i just dress up and put on this face and make sure publicly I look okay, and I'm, I'm good at fooling everybody. But Lord, I stay. This is what's underneath all of that. And to tell you the truth, I'm I'm afraid. I'm afraid. This is not how I thought it would turn out. I was deceived. I don't know where you are spiritually. But I'm telling you, I'm begging you, come out from the trees. Quit hiding from the presence of God. Get real. Stop covering it. You don't, have to tell, you don't have to show me your stains. I just want you to quit pretending you don't have them. And I would really like for you to fix it before you end up in my office. With something you can't take back. that couple knew better. They knew better. So do we. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, quit trying to fix it yourself. Quit trying to cover it up and pretending like everything is going to be okay. Run to Him. run to him our father this is the Holy Spirit's work it is not the pastor's work I have preached as you have led me to preach and proclaim your word it is you who calls the name of every individual. You may be calling them to repentance today. That's between you and them. You may be calling them to salvation today. That is a big decision. The serpent messed up your creation with his deception. I'm pleading through the blood of Christ today that you don't allow this group of listeners to be deceived and walk out of this place no different than when they came in. We are experts at hiding and pretending. You are showing yourself very real to every one of us now. The church will never have revival if it is filled with pretenders. We must get power in the name of Jesus we